When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Every Sunday, Dad watched 60 Minutes come hell or high water. This one particular Sunday, 60 Minutes was doing a segment on the drug trade in Miami. They were showing the pallets of cocaine, the tables of cash, all that bullshit they were seizing, and Dad, Dad sat there locked into it like a motherfucker. Mom noticed the attention Dad was giving the TV, looks over at him and asks, Ray, what is so damn interesting? Dad glances over, shut the hell up a minute, Carolyn. Now, Mom was not used to that, so hell, it must be something pretty important, so she starts watching TV, too. Denise and me, we have no friggin' clue what's so interesting about Miami. No idea what cocaine is, anything else like that. We know Mom and Dad are watching something important on TV, and we know to be quiet. That segment ends, Dad gets up, walks over, turns the TV off, goes back and sits down in his chair pretty heavy. He sits there quiet for a few minutes, just kind of thinking, Mom sits there quiet as well, and you can actually see the cogs turning in her head. Finally, my dad looks over at my mom. I think I'm gonna go see about being a police officer in Miami. My mom, yeah. You know, we might be able to make some money down there, dad says. Mom, yeah. So dad, the next day, calls around and finds out that the Miami-Dade Police Department was most certainly hiring and that his military service would also be considered and he'd be given credit for such. So basically they were saying, hey, Mr. Johnson, you were a captain in the army? Oh shit, yeah, come on down because we need some help rounding up all these drug dealers. A little later that day, dad sits me down and explains his grand plan. It's like this, son. I figure all I gotta do is find just one of those drug deals. I'm not gonna bust them, just gonna tell them to go on their way, take their drugs with them, but leave the cash. I looked at my dad, that'll work? Dad looks at me, of course it'll work. Nobody wants to go to prison for their life. I looked at dad, but look, look, dad says, they get to keep their drugs. All I'm asking for is the cash that's there. One score like that, we've got it made. I looked at Dad, um, what if they just shoot you instead? Dad pauses, looks at me for a minute like I'm a fucking idiot. They ain't gonna shoot nobody. All us cops are gonna be there. Now I consider this for a second. Then I say, Dad, if all those cops are gonna be there, how are you gonna walk away with all the money? At this point, Dad's mouth drops slightly open. Ha! Got you on that one, didn't I, Ray Johnson? But then he regains his composure, looks at me smugly and says, 
All I gotta do is give everybody a cut. You saw how much money there is there. Plenty for everybody and everybody walks away happy. I sit there shaking my head. I don't know, Dad. Dad looks at me, well, I do. It will work, I know. And that was the end of the discussion. So $6,000, that's how much they had. They had an old Chrysler that we had bought at the auto auction. We loaded it full, rented a U-Haul, packed the rest of the house in the U-Haul, and then we set off south for Miami-Dade. Now, I don't know if God exists. I fancy that he or she might, but you know, you just never know. I have what I like to call the Langston Hughes problem, a severe lack of faith. I do know that if God exists, that he or she has a really dark sense of humor because we arrived in Miami, Florida, May 18, 1980. Now, what is important about that date? May 18th marks the date the Miami riots started in earnest. Four Miami-Dade police officers were acquitted in the death of Arthur McDuffie. McDuffie was a salesman and former Marine. He died from injuries sustained following a high-speed chase. The officers were tried and acquitted of manslaughter and evidence tampering. The city exploded. They were the most violent riots since the 1960s and would remain the most violent until the Rodney King riots in Los Angeles in 1992. You see, the cops, Arthur McDuffie was an African-American. They were chasing him. Arthur McDuffie wrecks his car. The cops drag him out, literally beat the guy to death. They try to cover it up. When the city finds out, the city explodes. So we get there the night that things really got going. Mom and Dad had never been to Miami, didn't know a thing about it. We pulled into the first Days Inn we spotted off of the interstate. Turns out that Days Inn was right next to an overpass, and living beneath the overpass were all these homeless people set up in their little shanties. I still remember some of the recliners they had set up outside, and I kept thinking to myself, hell, they're homeless, but they've got recliners. I kept wondering how a person without a home could have a recliner. I mean, how did he get it down there? So Dad pays the hotel bill, we go in, turned on the TV. All the channels, of course, were broadcasting about the riot that was going on right outside of our door. Mom looks at Dad, Raging, where the hell have you brought us? Mom was not happy. Mom kept looking out the window at the homeless people across the way. She'd look out the window, then back at Dad. Guess she thought it was his fault all those folks were out over there. Dad kept looking at the TV, taking in the riot and everything that was going on. You could see in his face he was thinking this whole cop idea might not be the piece of cake he was thinking. Mom looks at Dad, we can't stay here, Ray Jean. Dad, Carolyn, hush. Mom, do you not see what's going on out there? We can't stay here. Just look out there. They could come over here anytime. Dad looks at Mom, those people aren't rioting, Carolyn. They're just homeless. Mom, just homeless? I saw the way they were looking at us when we pulled in. Probably steal everything we have in the truck tonight. Dad looks at Mom. Would it make you feel better if I slept in the truck tonight? Mom, sleep in the truck and leave us here alone? Dad obviously doesn't understand. What? Mom looks at Dad in disgust. She couldn't believe he could be that stupid. And leave us here to be raped and killed, Ray Jean. Dad sighs heavily. Carolyn... Mom, don't you Carol and me. You saw those people. It's right there on the news. Dad just sighs again. Don't you sigh at me, you son of a bitch. The next day, Dad goes to cop school. Me, Denise, and Mom are staying in the hotel room. They had a pool outside. We wanted to go to it, but Mom had yelled something about whores. 
when we asked if we could. So we sat there for most of the day. Dad comes home that evening looking pretty happy. Looks at mom, I think it's going to work. Mom smugly smiles, good. Mom smiles smugly. Day two, dad goes to cop school, comes back that evening, dad is looking really rejected. Mom looks at dad, what happened, Ray Jean? Dad looks at mom, they're crazy, Carolyn. Crazy, what do you mean? Well, we were in cop training when the Miami-Dade police officers burst in and arrested nine people. Mom looks at dad, arrested nine people. Dad looks over at mom, arrested nine people. Turns out they had outstanding warrants. Turns out they were looking to be police officers so they could happen upon a drug deal, keep the cash, and let the drug dealers take the drugs. Mom looks at dad. I'm not staying here, Ray Jean. Dad looks at mom, Carolyn, we really don't have much money left. Well, we've got enough to get out of here. Dad looks at mom again, Carolyn, don't you Carolyn me, I'm not staying here. So at that point, mom and Paul Johnson load up in the U-Haul and we start heading north on I-75. Welcome to this episode of the Angler Fish Podcast, where we visit the darkest corners of our online lives. I'm your host, Brett Johnson. The United States Secret Service called me the original internet godfather. How did I get that title? 39 felonies, a place on the United States Most Wanted list, an escape from prison, and I built the first organized cybercrime community, Shadow Crew. Shadow Crew was a precursor to today's darknet and darknet markets, and it laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels still operate today. This first season of the Anglerfish podcast tells of my rise and fall as the world's first internet godfather. It's a fascinating story. You'll learn how cybercriminals think, how modern cybercrime came into being, and why it's so successful and hard to stop, and how I was able to turn from a life of crime to one of using the knowledge I acquired as a criminal to help protect others against the type of person I used to be. Carol Sue, the mother, the abuse, some of the effects it had, some of the survival techniques we learned, stuff like that. Of course, that was not the only parent in the house. No, we had another one. There was another one. It was Dad, Ray Johnson. So, Dad, you know, I guess the last episode, one of the lessons, and I mentioned this, was how Carol Sue always, how Mom always tested things for love. You know, she would put you through all this abuse to see if you would come back. Will you still love me after I do all this? And Dad was, Dad was not the same. Dad... From my viewpoint, you may be different, Denise. You may be, Denise is with me again today. You may be different on that, but from my viewpoint, dad was the guy that loved mom so much, he was scared of losing her, so he became this enabler. Absolutely, yeah. You know, so if she had an idea, he would support the idea. No matter how crazy it was. If there was some sort of abuse, he would either put up with it you know, happening to him, or he would allow it to happen, happen to us. Like I remember, yes. and we didn't mention this the last episode, and I, I'm trying to get away from Carol Sue, but she's just so pervasive in this. 
I remember that that one time that mom and dad were were in the bedroom. Dad was on one side of the bed reading. Mom was on the other side of the bed raising hell. And she calls us in. She calls me and you. Shannon, Denise, come here. Yep. We walk Gotta in. Have an audience. And as we walk into the bedroom, dad is, please, Carolyn, just stop. That was another of his catchphrases. Please just stop. Just stop. So she calls us over to her side of the bed, and she used to smoke these more brand cigarettes, these long brown yeah. cigarettes, right? And she's like, you know I love you and your sister. And we're like, yes, mama. Well, I'm going to show you how much I love you. And dad's like, Carolyn, please, please just stop. So she takes the cigarette and she pretends to burn herself. She doesn't burn herself, but she says, this is how much I love you. And she pretends to burn herself. So I'm, I'm sitting here watching. I'm standing there watching it. She's not touching her skin to, with a cigarette. It's far enough apart, so it's not burning her. But she's pretending that it's burning her. She's screaming and crying and everything else. And my mind at that point was like, you've just told us you're going to prove how much you love us by burning yourself with a cigarette, but you're not burning yourself. So does that mean you don't love us? So that was what stuff dad allowed to happen. He would put up with that. He would put up with her bringing men home in front of him. He would beg her not to do it. She would still do it. He would put up with her trying to kill him. Or us. Or us. He would, uh, he would put up with her faking car accidents to get the money or faking a stolen car. He would help her with that. Arson, same stuff, burning places. Yes, I remember trying that. To, trying to, my, my great-grandfather, he had this Winchester rifle that was worth $20,000. She had an idea to try to steal it. Well, she did. <laughs> you remember, he helped her steal some stuff on several occasions, and I can remember them talking about Dad flying drugs do you remember that story? Yep. So I, I talk about this some um, in presentations. And what happened was, for those who don't know, those who haven't seen a couple of my presentations where I actually talk about that, Dad was mining coal. He, he drops out of the military as a helicopter pilot, goes into coal mining. With the coal mining back then, you were on strike more often than, the, than you were working. So you were collecting unemployment and on food stamps trying to provide for your family yeah. more than you were actually mining coal. So... Dad was a helicopter pilot. He had this, this buddy, someone that he knew. His name was Tommy Allen Combs. So we all load up in the vehicle. We drive to Glomar. That's where Tommy yes. Allen lived. It was a place called Glomar. We drive to Glomar, and we meet Tommy Allen. And our first meeting, you may, not, you may be too young to remember this, but our first meeting, Tommy Allen is sitting on the porch. He's got chickens in the yard. Tommy Allen is sitting on the porch, He's got a slingshot. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. A pail of pebbles, of rocks, and he's trying to hit the chickens with the rocks, with a slingshot. And I thought that was the, I mean, hell, we're like six at this point, six and seven. I thought that was the greatest thing in the friggin' world, man. Give me that slingshot. Of course, 
I think you tried it too. None of us could hit the chickens, but it was fun to try. And dad is up there because Tommy Allen had served prison time. He had been involved with the cornbread mafia, which is a real thing. Yeah. He had been involved with the cornbread mafia. Dad wanted to fly drugs back and forth across the Mexican-Texas border to make money. And Tommy Allen is, is basically putting him through the interview process. You know, are you willing to do this? You understand if you tell on anybody that they, they will kill you. These are Mexicans. They will kill you, not only you, but your family and your dog. And Dad's like, I've got this. <laughs> so exactly. that, was, that was the interview process. And we went up there a few times. What happened, and, and Tommy Allen had served prison time and had never ratted anybody out. So he had done his time without telling on anybody. And that's where I got a lot of my mentality going forth in my criminal career right there. You never rat. You know, you do the job that you're supposed to do. So uh, what had happened was, is Tommy serves his time out, but the law enforcement in the area, they still had a grudge against him. Because Tommy Allen, I mean, Tommy Allen, and here's the thing about criminals, and I was the same way to agree. Tommy Allen provided for all the children in the hollow where he lived. So Tommy Allen, and I've talked to people who knew Tommy at that point, Tommy Allen bought clothes and shoes for every child in Glomar Hollow while he was breaking the law, all right? So there was this dichotomy that went on with Tommy, but the law enforcement hated him. The sheriff at, the, at that point in time, this is before dad could actually start flying drugs. The sheriff one day calls up Tommy Allen, says, Tommy, we've got a warrant for you come on in. And Tommy Allen's like, I'm not coming in. You're going to have to come and get me. And Pearl Couch was the sheriff. Pearl's like, that's fine. We'll send someone up there to pick you up. So they send a state trooper. They send a sheriff's deputy. He kills one and puts the other in a wheelchair for life. And a six-hour shootout ensues. And they killed Tommy Allen Combs that day. And dad decided that probably flying drugs back and forth across the Mexican border was not a good idea. <laughs> see, I see that. Here's, here's the part that I think about that. You know, our Uncle Roy. Our Uncle Roy. <laughs> yeah. And so Uncle Roy was like the kingpin. And so, yeah, you know. For those who don't know, so, so Hazard, Kentucky, that's, that's where this we're is, from. How much do we say? Hazard, Kentucky is one of these areas that unemployment is very high, corruption is very high as well. Now, this is Hazard, Kentucky, like the Dukes of Hazard. Now, the Dukes of Hazard was set in Georgia. Yeah. But we had a county judge in Hazard, Kentucky that really took to the Dukes. So he got a white Cadillac with the horns on the front. He used to dr dress in a white suit. Yeah. And he called himself Boss Hog. <laughs> well, that was not Uncle Roy. No. Uncle Roy was just, Uncle Roy ended up owning a lot of property. Started off yeah, as, ended up. started off driving a milk truck. Right. For some, some way, I'm not, I'm not saying how, but somehow he was able to go from driving a milk truck to becoming a huge, huge multimillionaire. Right. Very like, influential in the Like in he the, owned a coal company and owned all he, kinds of stuff. He owned like the shopping center. Right. And Ends up <laughs> mysteriously being assassinated a few years ago. Him and his wife 
were assassination style murder. Someone comes in the home, gets them down on their knees, blows their brains out. Right. A very assassination style, right? So there was certainly some sort of criminal activity involved. Absolutely. And Tommy Allen was was part of this, this oh, yeah. crime he syndicate. Oh, yeah, too. Absolutely. So <laughs> Tommy Allen was part of that. Dad, of course, decides not to fly helicopters <laughs> at that point. And we're still, this is the whole thing, we were still kind of going broke the entire time, right? Well, I think the thing was you can't support a spending habit on you know, working a couple of weeks here and a couple right. of weeks there. The, the means was there, but there was always something else happening. There was always, you know, dad would try to work, but mom wanted to be in Eastern Kentucky with right. her family. And I, you know, I got to say it for dad. And I know you, go, you hold a lot of anger toward him. I do. But the man, he tried his best to provide. You know, he would work his ass off. He did. He, he tried his best to provide. Yes. I think the fault with dad. He let her. Well, and he wasn't. Do a, that. You know, I try to cover for the guy because I I, I I see it now as he was an abuse victim too. He was an adult, but he was an abuse victim, and he, he had never been through abuse like that before. And if you've never been through that, how do you know how you're going to handle it? Yeah, he couldn't. He couldn't break away from her. You know, right. there was mental abuse there was physical abuse well she told him she said she tried was going to, to drive murder him. him several times yeah she and, said she was going to drive him to commit suicide and then she would use us too i'm sure as leverage with him Absolutely. and it was just constant and then but he was responsible in my mind in that he knew what she was doing and he went along with it you're right and you're he right. let her do that i mean he saw her abusing us well, he on a regular basis, and, and he did not stop her. He, should, he did I, not. He did not take us. Right. I think he because didn't he was scared. <laughs> yeah, there was never anybody. That's that's the kicker. Yeah. There was never anybody to save us. Yeah, he didn't save us. Never. And so that's what I blame him with. No, I understand that. And, and with me, I, I try to, and I think I have gotten to the point where I'm like, you know, I understand you were, an, and I don't, I'm not asking you to get to that point. From my viewpoint, it's it's he was an abuse victim. He just simply didn't know what to do. If you look at abused women yeah. in, in those types of relationships, maybe that's what it they was. Don't, they don't know what to do. They let the abuse go on. So I, I, that's my viewpoint. I don't I don't I don't think your viewpoint is wrong no, whatsoever. No, no, it's right? fine. The the other thing, the other big crime thing with dad, and this is what I mentioned before, what got us to Panama City. And he did have that mentality too. He did. He did. He, he, he had, had that, that. He had that same... little. That, that tweak in him. <laughs> right. Uh, here's what we're going to do. And isn't this a great idea? And so, and, and I think what you're alluding to is one night, so he, he went back, he, he, he gave up on flying drugs back and forth across the border. He goes back to mining coal. And this happened, this went on for a few more months, maybe up to a year. Then one night, he used to watch 60 Minutes all the time. And 60 Minutes had this segment on about the drug trafficking happening in Miami, Florida. And they were showing the pallets of cash, the tables of cocaine. And he's locked into it, man. I mean, he is locked into that segment. And my mom is like, damn, he's never paid attention to a segment like this before. So the segment ends. He looks over at mom and he was like, I think I need to go down and be a cop in Miami, Florida. And it's like they were on the same page all of a sudden. My mom looks at him and she's like, that's a really good idea. Yep. So mom had 
She had been working at the hospital, had faked a fall, had sued the hospital. They had given her a settlement of like $2,500 and then a lifetime check of $36 a month was what it was, something like that. So they take the, the settlement, which was like $2,500. They sell what they can in the house, which they round up like $4,000. They rent a U-Haul truck, put the rest of the shit in the truck, and we start heading south on I-75. We get in Miami to Dade County. We get in Miami the night the Miami riots broke out. And, and I'm not sure you, you know I what happened. I do remember. But what, the reason that the riots had broken out, this black guy, Arthur McDuffie was his name. Several months prior to that night, he had been in a car chase. The cops had been chasing him on the highway. Arthur McDuffie had, gotten, had wrecked his car. The cops had dragged McDuffie out of the vehicle and literally beaten the guy to death. And then the cops had covered it up. So the riots break out when the truth comes out that, hey, they beat the shit. They beat this guy to death. That happens. The news reports come out. The city explodes. We get down there that night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Impeccable timing. Great timing. We stayed at a Days Inn that was located right across this underpass. And under the underpass were all these homeless people that lived. Yes, so, I remember that. So we could look out of our hotel window and see the homeless people. They had a pool. Was it a Days Inn? It was a Days Inn. I remember that, like the, I remember thinking, this place is really shady. Oh, yeah, because they had a pool. We weren't and, allowed and to swim in the pool. And that was coming from us living in the basement. Absolutely. <laughs> and we weren't allowed to swim in the pool because of all the homeless people. Mom was scared we would be raped. So we, we hold up in the hotel room. Dad goes to cop training the first day, comes back with this whole attitude of, oh, yeah, this is going to work. And here was his plan for those who don't know or can't get it. His plan was to happen upon a drug deal, let them keep the drugs, he would keep the cash, and we'd be set for life. And I pointed out to him, won't they just kill you? And he was like, no. And I was like, why not? Oh, they would never do that. So he goes to cop school the first day, comes back, oh, it'll work fine. We go around looking for rental places. Rent's popping out. Now, this is 1979, 1980. Rent is at like at $1,200 to $1,600 a pop. And they're shitting where they're geared right there. We don't have that kind of money. Dad goes to cop training the next day, comes back scared to death. We have to leave. Mom has already decided we have to leave because she thinks everyone's going to get raped by the homeless guys across the way. So what had happened with cop training... During the testing, the real Miami-Dade police officers come in and arrest nine people for outstanding warrants who were trying to become police officers <laughs> <laughs> for, for probably the exact same reason that dad was trying to become a police officer. So they decide that Miami is not for them. By this point, we're, we're down on money. We've already ran out the mileage on the U-Haul, so it's 25 cents a mile for every single mile we're going from this point on. They start heading north on I-75, no idea where the hell they're going until they, they stop at a rest stop and they both get to talking and they remember they've spent spring break at Panama City Beach when they were children. That's what, that, that right there is what decided us on Panama City. 
<laughs> I often wondered if it wasn't because of her ex-boyfriend. Well, I think that probably was, was part of it, right? Bert, and I forgot what his name, it was Bert, Bert Caldwell. Bert Caldwell, that was that dude's name. So I think that dad, she didn't mention that the boyfriend was there, but at the rest stop, they had a conversation. He had spent spring break there. She says, I spent, we can go there. It's not that expensive. It's just up here. We can start a new life. So he gets there. We, we rent a place. I think we only had, by this point, we've got, you know, they've got a couple of grand on them. So they ended up renting a, the first house they could find because we couldn't afford to keep paying the hotel bills. They rented a place. Dad, the only job he could get was 7-Eleven. Mom gets a job as a nurse long enough to see dad off to work, starts screwing around, seeing Burt Caldwell, all these other people, and then it goes from there. But that was, uh, you know, that was dad, man. I mean, he... Uh, he worked really hard. He tried, he worked he his ass off. He always tried to have a job. And he worked his ass off. He worked super hard. Yeah. I remember, do you remember moving? Oh, yeah. Every time, we were in three different houses. Yep. Before mom finally said, we're going up for the weekend for... Before she finally left. Dad-all's funeral. Yeah. yeah. We moved three times, and do you remember who did the moving? Dad did. Dad and you and I. Yep. We did the entire move. And, you know, it got so bad that, uh, because I was scared she, that he was either going to leave or that she was going to kill him. It got so bad, I would, and we said the same thing. Every night we went to bed, we'd say, good night, sweet dreams, I love you. That's what we'd tell each one of them. And I got to the point, because I was so scared that he was not going to be there in the morning. You'd say, see you in the morning. I'd say, see you in the morning. Yeah. Because in, in that child's mind of mine. You were committing to it. I thought that if he would say, see you in the morning, that he would be there in the, the next morning. day is what happened. And he always was. He always, he always was. was. It was It was typically her that did leaving. You know, he did the in one fact, thing. In fact, I don't remember him ever leaving. No, he never did. He never did. And Even what, when uh, he filed for divorce, she had left him. Yeah. Yes, she loved him, but he was always there. And I was always in the position of, I have to keep them happy. Yeah. Somebody has to stay with mom and make sure she's happy. Yeah, he always, he was keep... always just, he just wanted to, uh, you know, I, I think back, I wonder what type of life everyone would have had if she would have just not been crazy, not been abusive. I mean, he just, I think that it would have been a good life for everybody, you know, because he did want to work. He did want to have things. He did want to do good for people. It's just it didn't hurt, turn out that way. No. I wonder. I think it would have been better for us, and, and this is part of my anger and part of my problem with him, is that instead of letting her have us, I almost felt like we were an offering. You know, I'll let you keep them if you leave me alone. You know, I'm too scared of you to take them with me. So well, you keep them and I'll maybe what, that will keep you We've actually placated. talked about that. He and I, have, we've talked about that. And the truth of the matter is, is that he didn't have the money. To take us. To take us. So I think it's a little deeper than that. I think a lot of it, certainly because he was, he didn't have any money. We were going completely broke. All right. So. He couldn't take us. He couldn't physically support us at that point. Not only that, but at the same time, 
I view that through, you know, how long it took to, to reconnect with him and everything. But I think that he, he viewed me and you through the frame of our mother. You know, that, that type of mentality that she had, that he viewed us as an extension of her to yeah. a degree. I think that was a lot of the out of sight, out of mind stuff that when she finally leaves that he's like, you know, like you did with mom. Yeah. Not talking to her for over a decade now because it's healthier for you to disconnect completely. I think that he, uh, for him, that he couldn't separate me and you from mom. Yeah. And it was healthier for him if he was going to survive that he had to do that. And I said, that's a tough, for me, that's a tough pill to swallow, man. I know. That you're going to uh, basically do that, that you feel you have to do that in order to continue to survive as a person. To this day, I don't know what to think of that. I really don't. Yeah, it's it's, it's disap disappointing to say the least. Oh, <laughs> it's a little. It's a little. It's just, <laughs> I, you know, I always think of, I'm like, I thought to myself, he's going to come and he's going to see what's going on and he's going to save stop us. It. Just stop it. You know, he will. Like when you had your breakdown in the elevator. Right. We'll talk about the, the, the breakdown and all that stuff the next episode. I really thought when he, I was like, he'll come up and he'll see what's going on. Yeah. And that'll be the end of this. And we will be, we'll be free. You know, we'll be safe. We'll be loved. We'll be taken care of and we'll be okay. Doesn't turn out like that sometimes. No. <laughs> you know? No, no. That's, that's a naive child's view of somebody's going to come save you. And I think, biggest lesson in my childhood was there's nobody going to come save you. Now, if you don't do it yourself, no one's going to do it for you. No. And you know, that's I one of the lessons. I think that's the lesson that, we uh, learned. Well, and it, I think you learned that lesson a lot sooner than I did. You know, I, with me, I don't think that I, expe I, I expected people to save me. I think I understood that, that I had to do that. But, you know, with my, my relationships going through my life. I think it was always me trying to save someone. Yeah, you know? I think you were put in that role because you heard it so much as we were growing up. Take care of your sister, and you did. You tried so hard to take care of me and protect me, and there was so many times I know you protected me, and you, you did your best, and I really appreciate it, but I know that there was really no saving. And the truth of the matter was, you can't even save yourself when you're a yeah, kid. Yeah, can't even save yourself. You can't, let alone somebody else. Can't even save yourself. And so you've got that guilt that you deal with. You know, I felt like I should protect my brother. But the truth of the matter is, a little kid can't even protect themselves. No, no. And you've let got, alone somebody And you're else. surrounded with adults that won't protect you or can't. No, no. and... Yeah. So, but anyway. Well, guess what? <laughs> I'm not sure what else to say. So we're going to, you know, I know what to say about mom. I do. And I love my dad. I think dad is a good man. I think, you know, I, I see him uh, frequently now. I talk with him and I think he's come to terms with a lot of the stuff. And I think he regrets, has a lot of regrets about that. You know, I, I can see the positives hearing you talk about it. 
I still cannot forgive him. Well, I'm, I'm not asking I, you to. I can't I forgive don't. her, <laughs> and I can't forgive him because yeah. he was an enabler, and he let it happen. He did. And he, he did. let it happen. And, you know, even when we were grown, he said to me when you went to jail, he said, when he gets out, I'm going to take care. I'm going to step up. I'm going to take care of your brother. I'm going to make sure he has a job and a vehicle right. and get him everything he needs to get him, you know, lined out. And he did not do that. And I cannot forgive him for that. <laughs> Instead, he said he was going to do that. And he did not. In right. fact, he tried to use you for well, another scheme of his. And, and I want to be fair about that. I want to be fair about that. I, I think you, you, but what you're alluding to is that on the escape and, and the crime the type of crime I was committed, he wanted to be engaged with that. And I think that what yeah, I saw... saw it as a money-making opportunity. Yeah, I think that what I saw... And we've talked about that. He and I have talked about that. I think that uh, from my viewpoint, and maybe that's just because that's the only way that I can survive is to have this viewpoint. But I, from my viewpoint, I think that what it was is that he, had, he hadn't talked to me in 25 years. Oh, yeah. I think that he was trying to reconnect and that he, he still viewed me through that frame, that criminal mind of my mom, I think that may have been the only way he knew how to communicate. That's what I tell myself. Whether that's true or not, that's what I have to tell myself. So it gave you all something to bond over? No, no. no. I think that he, he, he felt that was the only way he could communicate. I saw that, and I chose to manipulate him into helping me escape and all these other things. Okay? And whether that's true or not, for me, that has to be true. For me in order for me to, to go forward and, and basically survive. I, I, can't, I cannot accept that he came back in my life to use me, okay? So in, in, instead of accepting that, I say that he came back in my life and, and wanted to reconnect, and the only way he knew how to do that was by having that type of conversation like that. And then I chose from that point to manipulate them into helping me. Okay? See, that, that, that in and of itself speaks to what a good person you really are. Well, I don't know about because that. <laughs> I look at both of them and I think I'm just angry. I'm pissed off because I'm like, you know what? Our whole lives have just been some opportunity for you to use us as an excuse for whatever you've done, whatever bad thing that's happened to you, whatever sacrifice you see yourself as making, it was all because of us. We were the scapegoats. Or you could use us for this money-making opportunity or that right. money-making opportunity. Or how about just somebody that needs me and make me feel special? No. But you're a good person. Totally messed up. But... <laughs> It, it was the life you were brought into. It was what was expected. It was what was taught. It was what was modeled. It's what you were told to do and shown to do and had to do and forced to do. Because. Forced to do. Well, to here's survive. the thing. I, I Who don't... paid the water bill? Who paid You're the right. electricity bill? You're right. Who brought food in the house? Who had, a trans who had transportation? You're right. Who provided those things? It was not the adults in the get-go. You know, I, I want to point out that, that people had worse upbringings than I did. You, for example. They did. You had, There's always somebody who has it you, harder. You go on to be a good parent, a great teacher, 
I was the kid who just kept breaking the law. So I chose to do that. All right, that was my choice. But you were set up for that. The flaws were pointed out in you. You were manipulated from the time you were little. I can remember mom and dad, mom and dad, calling you into their bedroom multiple occasions, having you stripped down and criticizing like you weren't even there. <laughs> like they were looking at, I don't know, a car. And <laughs> what's wrong This car's here? a little overweight. And is that normal? <laughs> is that normal? Does that even look right? You know, what? Yeah. Who does that? That, no. As an adult, I look back on it. No, that was nowhere in the scope of normal. Thank you for listening to this episode of Anglerfish. I appreciate it. If you like it, please subscribe and drop me a line saying hello. Hello is always good. You can reach me direct at brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. That's brett, B-R-E-T-T, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at anglerfish, A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H.com. Please tell your friends about us, rate and review the Anglerfish podcast wherever you can. In the next few weeks, we'll be launching Season 2 of Anglerfish, which will examine the darkest corners of our online lives and what you need to do to remain safe. Please email me questions, comments, concerns, personal stories, and any topics you might like to hear discussed. That's brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Brett Johnson. Stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.